Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome back to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so, so much for stopping by for this latest uh, game feature. Uh, we are uh, in the middle of, well, I am, Jason is, <laughs> in the middle of featuring a very exciting Kickstarter project for me. Uh, this podcast is going along with a designer playthrough, a designer commentary playthrough that will be uh, on the One Stop Co-op Shop YouTube channel as well. Very excited about this. So we're getting 360-degree coverage for this relaunch third edition block by block uprising it is a cooperative game for one of four players about resisting uh in an urban setting the peoples uh rise up uh all that kind of thing but i will let one of the co-designers describe it for you uh he did not design uh the original edition but came in and led his expertise and you can definitely tell the uh the level of craft in the third edition major changes have been done to make this the best product possible. He is Greg Loring Albright. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it's yeah. so good to be here. Sorry. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, we did the designer playthrough. Uh, that will that's a tandem piece to this. So this will be a little bit shorter. We're not going to cover as much ground. I'm not going to talk as much about the changes uh, because we go over that in the playthrough. Um, but we should tell the people what the, what this is uh, before we get into some of the more kind of um, you know, above the, above the like big picture, I, I guess I should say big picture stuff with the, the game. Uh, so let's tell them about it. Block by block uprising third edition. Tell them all about it. Give them the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. So this is block by block uprising. As you've said, it's the third edition of block by block, which is a game that's been out. The first edition was in 2016. The second edition was in 2018. Uh, those were the, the projects of TL Simons and out of order games. Um, and, and TL's a friend of mine and brought me on to co-design uprising the third edition so tl wasn't able to join us today uh but says hello and uh yeah i'm here to to talk about the game and it's uh it's going to game found on february 15th uh as as jason said one to four players i one and two it plays in about an hour at three to four it's a little longer it can go two to even three hours on your first time through but uh, it's a co-op and semi-co-op game about uh a people's movement about protests in the streets about social uprising uh, about liberating the city from the oppressive state. And it's not about like any particular uprising. Like it's not like modeling the environmental process, not modeling police brutality. It's not like all these kind of like tangible social issues that we could have made, you know, that could have been the game. It's just like general, the people are taking the streets back from the state. Yeah, it's right? intentionally right. abstracted, both in terms of like, there's not within the game any sense of like, oh, this is why the protest started. This is why the people are marching. It sort of picks up in medias res and it's like, okay, we're on the streets. And, and similarly, it's not set in any real world city. The, the districts have evocative names. There's, you know, the gentrifying residential zone, the privatized university, but it's not like, you know, university city in West Philadelphia. It's just sort of a city. And so that abstraction uh, gives you some some purchase as the player. You can can imagine more of a story than if we were kind of mapping our own story onto it too hard. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so the people like mechanisms, and you know, again, watch the playthrough if you want to do, see mechanisms. But give us those, you know, like how does this game work? What what is uh, what am I getting uh, when I have the mechanical experience at the table with block by block? 
Totally. So it's a, it's a dice placement action selection game. So on your turn, you're going to roll a bunch of dice and the number of dice you roll is determined by the strength of your movement, by how many blocks, how many people you have in the street. Um, so you'll get more as the game goes on, you'll build your power, you'll build a bigger movement. You use those dice to take actions, the simple actions like moving around the city and building barricades, you can take with any die, but there are uh, places in the city, each district has a number on it and you need to use a die of that value or greater to take that action. Mm -hmm. So there's some texture to the board, to the gameplay. You have to decide, should I use my six for this easy action or should I save it for using this big you know, attack or building my occupation to liberate mm -hmm. the city? So that's the sort of what the players are doing. The opponents are the police. They're run by two decks of cards. That's sort of a pseudo pandemic style, right? As with a lot of co-op games, there's a card deck that drives this cardboard AI. There's a countdown. So if you don't liberate the city in time, you lose. And then, yeah, that's that's how it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so the, you're you're playing these cubes basically, so like you, the, the the blocks. Uh, so you don't have like one avatar. You're like collect. You're you're governing this like movement. Like so, you can have five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, and they move around the city pretty freely. And they have to, you know, you're gonna have goals. So like you know, you have to you know conquer this territory, which is like one tile on the area. So it's like, okay, well, not conquer, but liberate. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's they're, they're trying to conquer. We're trying to liberate. It's the same thing mechanically. <laughs> uh, you know, claim that area. So there's a little bit of like area control here. So you're, you're using totally. your dice drive your actions and you're trying to kind of, you know, conquer area. And then the police have an AI deck that is designed to go after those areas. And so there's like conflict. So you are going to get into conflict with the police. It's going to be very uh, abstracted. We're not going to, we don't, we don't, we're not all about that. We just want to like simulate the clash. That's right, right. Between That's the, right. the state and the peoples. And the area control aspect also comes up in the semi-co-op version, which, you know, the game includes both versions. It's great at both. You know, we recommend playing the cooperative to learn the game, but um, the semi-co-op definitely brings a, a sort of social tension. There's a little bit of deduction, but yeah, there's, there's some area control there as well as different factions might have uh, individual non-social goals. They're trying to hijack the revolution for their own ends and they'll need to control certain parts mm. of the city. So in addition to, you know, liberating and pushing back the police and building barricades to keep them on their side of the city, you might start to worry if one of your fellow players is like, I'm putting all my blocks into this district. Just no reason. Don't worry about it. And then suddenly <laughs> you're like, hmm, maybe I should try and outnumber them there just right. in case. So yeah, so there, are, there are multiple police. ways to so play. They're not Correct. undercover police. They're not like COINTELPRO or something like that. Yeah, we uh, thought about right. that, but but we wanted the game, even in this sort of conflictual mode, to not to not represent that sort of like grim, dark aspect of organizing. Even even at its most uh, cynical, the game doesn't have anyone who's like a, an FBI insider or whatever. It's just these dynamics that that are real in organizing movements right. of people with with different goals, kind of mm -hmm. running butting heads a little bit. Right. Anyone who knows the history of social movements, which, of course, if anyone watches Shelf Stories, that's why you reached out to me. <laughs> you're like, this is the guy. They need hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm so glad so you're able to fit us in. History, social protests, that kind of thing. Anyone who knows that knows that not like all social protests have splinters. Every single one that of any size, you know, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, you know, it's like, OK, uh, what, you know, what do we do this or do we do that? So the semi co-op sounds like it's just like, OK, uh, you're you're still, you know, a protester of the person, but you just feel like we should do it this way, not that way. And strong personalities, buddy heads and all that kind of thing. So it's more of a it's, it's not as like as you were saying, you know, kind of uh, sinister. Yes, right. correct. We want people to have a good time, even though this game is about something, you know, real and serious and thought-provoking it is it is a game first it's a it's a fun activity to do with your friends first and foremost right 
So um, in terms of the development from uh, the editions, right? So like first edition, second edition, uh, Greg come on to help out with the third edition. Uh, once again, there are a lot of mechanical differences that we go through in the playthrough. Yes, I've said that phrase many times. Watch both products if you want to really get the 360. Uh, so we go through, you know, where changes were made, rationales, uh, you know, like, okay, this felt different than this and that kind of thing. There's one mechanism that I did not um, put in the playthrough, but it's best left forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little Easter egg for people who played the earlier editions. You'll notice. You'll notice exactly. what's missing and you'll love it. You'll love, oh, yeah, there's one mechanism. It's like, okay, uh, bon voyage. But we didn't talk about that. The other ones we did. Uh, but I wanted to have a, a, do this with a podcast because I am so interested in this theme. I am so interested in your background, Greg, and TL's background, and because there's nothing like this in the board gaming, nothing. You know, like uh, in I, I like to think of it like you know, you've seen my show. It's all about like you know, gaming is about colonization, and gaming is about like you know, kind of playing the boss. It's almost like you know, in our um, little bubble, it's like we love playing the empire. We hate playing the rebels. You know, when you're playing a colonizer, you're playing the empire. When you're playing, you know, uh, you know, a, a, a manager of this thing, and you're trying to like do like a, you're playing the empire, people. And I can't get the it's like ah, yeah, <laughs> play man. the peoples. And so I here, that. I feel that. <laughs> and so here, you completely flipped it on its head in a way that hasn't been done before. So just on a uh, just a beginner level, talk about what inspired. I mean, you because you've spoken with TL a bunch. And what inspired, you know, both of you to really lean into this theme just at the very start? Yeah, totally. So again, I'm, I'm speaking for TL here who, you know, designed this project. I've, I've been a fan of this game since the first edition. My sure. partner found it on Kickstarter and, and I backed it and played it ever since edition one. But um, yeah, I've, I've talked to TL a whole bunch about the, the ideas behind it. So I'm hopefully not putting too many false words in, in their mouth. But basically, this idea that, that TL and Rocket had was exactly this of like, you know, there are plenty of game, games sort of provide an imaginary for you to adopt, right? They provide mm -hmm. a position for you as the player to take and imagine yourself in. And not all games, you know, there are abstracts where it's just sort of like we're moving pieces and engaging with the puzzle. But a lot of I mean, games even, say you even are the abstracts like chess. You're a general. Yeah, you're sort of the commander. Yeah, Check, you're the commander like checkers. You're the general. Go is called the surrounding game. Yes, it's a right. verb. And like, OK, you're surrounding like a general or like a boss, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. then even those, even the most abstract games have that sure. kind of have that DNA in it. So like, mm -hmm. you know, that makes it especially interesting that you've subverted, you know, what is very, very old coding and, and gaming. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to do structurally, right? Because it's like in a game, one of the things that makes games fun and, and engaging is, you know, making hard choices, weighing options against one another. And that's often a position of power. If you are able to make a yeah. choice that has a real impact you are a person in a position of power. So it makes sense to me that, that games often simulate, you know, managers, generals, heads of state, et cetera. But, but TL and Rocket and, yeah. saw this and they were like, you know, this is kind of a problem because if the only place we as people who like board games can imagine ourselves is with the powerful, we're never gonna be able to embrace the struggles of the people who don't have power. And so that was sort of part of the genesis of Block by Block around the time, uh, you know, the first edition was published in 2016, but I know TL and Rocket were working on it in 2010 and 2011 and starting to brainstorm it. And that was, you know, the height of Occupy, mm. the movement of the squares, the Arab Spring. And so 
all these these global movements the the student and or student nurses i don't remember in chiapas and oaxaca mm -hmm. you know big global protest movements were happening in the early 2010s and that's really woven into the dna of block by block it's funny it's it's social media driven like you know that was the big promise like we like social media had had been born in the, like the 2000s right and then you know, in the 2000s, we were like, you know, going on message boards and whatever. And then there was this very kind of short window relatively to the history, you know, uh, 2010, uh, 2009, 2010, 2011, the financial crash had also hit, you know, in 2008. So there's a lot of discontent in the world. And so like you get all this discontent. You get nobody going to jail for all that, you know, all the stuff that happened, like not, not a single Wall Street tycoon even sniffed the jail, uh, where if I did something like that, I'd be in jail forever. Right. <laughs> and then you have social media where we can talk, you know, across, you know, like someone in, you know, Egypt can talk to people in New York and, and you know, and, and universities all over the world and, you know, like share knowledge and share theory and all that kind of stuff. And so you had this like moment of uprising, Occupy, you mentioned, uh, and, you know, it was coming off of the, you know, it's not like protest is, was invented in the 2010s, like you've had protests the entire time. Like, uh, you know, like when I was in college, it was about the um, the Seattle WTO. Sure, the, the yeah, battle, yeah, battle, battle for Seattle, for Seattle. All that. I wasn't like there, I wish I was, but like, you know, following it and like, you know, being interested in it and being like kind of turned on to this life at that point. So there's always been that, but like in the 2010s, there was this huge uprising and, you know, eventually we became to fall in love with our, uh, you know, algorithmically enhanced advertising. And we kind of like, you know, all went back to sleep and, you know, uh, back in the matrix, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it sounds like, you know, it at least the spark of it entered this game. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the, the battle for Seattle because there's actually a, a sort of precursor. I don't know if TL has, has played this game. I haven't. Um, and sorry, I don't know if you can see my colors reflecting on my screen. I'm, I'm going to BGG to make sure I have the title right. It's called Battle of Seattle, and it's, mm. a, it's a war game uh, about that protest. Um, it's a little more squarely in the war game camp, you know, where right. there's like operations and logistics. And I, that's not a genre I'm super familiar with, whereas block by block is much more. It's, it's war game adjacent. You know, there's you need to care about territory. You need to move little cubes mm -hmm. around. It's fairly abstract but it's much more in the, the board gaming space. It's a cooperative game. Like, I mean, yeah, right, for anyone 100%. who is like, you know, who's played the Burgle Brothers and the Pandemics and the, you know, like classic cooperative play, this is a classic one. It's a little bit more involved, a little bit longer. Like, I mean, the board is big. It's like, you know, this big mm -hmm. kind of five by five, 25 squares. Uh, and there's a lot of planning that goes in. So it's like, it's not this easy breezy, exactly pandemic type, but the guts are there. You know, totally. and, you know, yeah, if you play the pandemic, you can you can handle it's like a step up in terms of complexity, but you'll be able to handle block by block for sure. We're in a war game is like a very different, very different. Yes. Movie. You Correct. know, because troop positioning matters and all this other stuff matters. Results and, tables and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a little bit uh, edging towards that wargaming space. And I and I talk with Liz Davidson all the time, like wargaming does this a lot. Like there's a bunch of protest games there's a bunch of like you know indian abyss where it's like talking about you know counterinsurgency and all that kind of stuff there's a bunch totally. of that uh, but and to have this in the cooperative space is very exciting which is why i'm doing a lot of coverage uh okay so then um do, do we finish off on like the kind of genesis of the game or is there more yeah yeah for there? sure oh there's i mean there's always more to say but i've i've <laughs> given you the summary i've given you right. what what i what i can relate so yeah so i mean i get the feeling that both of you have kind of been a part of movements. 
So maybe t- tell me about that little, that personal aspect of it. Like, cause there seems to be a lot of personal touches in block by block. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, and TL more so than me, um, TL is, is much more connected to, to political movements throughout their life. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let, I'll let TL tell their story another time. But, um, but my story is definitely like, you know, I'm, I'm newer to this stuff. Um, and, and that's been fun to grow and develop and, and, you know, become more politically aware in the, the 2000s, the 2010s, et cetera. I'd say for me, a big genesis of my own activism and connection, aside from my partner, who's definitely been a, a positive influence in my life in terms of getting me to care about issues and people and think things differently. Um, in 2013, 20, 2012, I moved to Chicago and I lived in a, a cooperatively organized house uh, in Hyde Park. And so, you know, this, this was home to a bunch of students and leftists and organizers and queer folks. And it was rad. It was such a good place. And, and that's <laughs> so where I really. who owns that? Who is there? Is it like by the, uh, by the grace of the owner that's like, okay, y'all can run stuff or was that, was there? No, no. So ownership? we all, we all owned it together. It was wow. a, it was a cooperative organized through NASCO. I'll give them a shout out the National Association of Student Cooperatives. And basically Everyone who lived there, when you when you paid rent, essentially, you weren't paying to the landlord, you were paying into a communal pot. Mm. And as someone who lived there, you got to make decisions about the house. And so, you know, there was like a stability in terms of like a governing structure and a bank account so that if people came and went, the house would survive. But we all every week, we had a, a consensus driven, you know, democratic consensus meeting where we would sit there around the dinner table for, you know, an hour or two, three hours and you know, propose motions These and meetings. Oh my and God. Make consensus. And <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was good. It was hard, but it was definitely, that's when I, when I think back on like my first sort of like actual visceral connection to, to organizing and to activism, it's, it's living in that house with people and, you know, realizing there were 13 of us, this was a big house and we all had different ideas about all kinds of stuff from like as small as like barbecue sauce to like as big as like, you know, should we, I don't know, go to this protest together? Anyway, we, um, yeah, you know, I, I learned about how to, how to like work with people and organize and it was great. It was a really good time. And so that, you know, you said going to protest and going to that kind of stuff. What's, I mean, I, I don't want to, you don't have to go through your whole history, but just kind of like give a sense because it's not, it's not all the same. Right. I mean, there's a yes, whole right. texture to it. You know, like you can like I mentioned before, like, you know, the environment movement is a different animal than the animal rights movement. And it's a different animal than, you know, uh, uh, or the, the city protests, you know, like, you know, people who are um, kind of, quote unquote, take back the city, you know, like yes. local ownership and gardens. Like there's so much texture to, you know, like, you know, working for the people. So I wanted to kind of get a sense for the angle here because that informs the game too, you know? For sure. Yeah. So that, I, that latter aspect you're talking about is much more connected to me. I, in addition to making board games, I like to make real world games where, you know, you sort of go out on the street and experience the city in a playful way. And so this notion of like public space and, and people having power over space, as opposed to just corporations having power over space. So, you know, the, the activism I've been involved with is sort of along those lines and very uh, bottom up sort of grassroots um, around, around the 2016 election. Some of my neighbors and I just organized together, just a little, you know, a little mutual aid, a little affinity group where we were like, let's look out for each other. You know, we were in, I was living in Philly at the time and, you know, there was a, there was a big, proud boys chapter in philly and we were worried about what they would do and how that would impact our neighbors and so 
we didn't end up having to do anything. We didn't end up, you know, taking action or getting into street fights or anything, but we organized, we met regularly. We said, you know, let's be on the lookout. Let's text each other. And, you know, creating those sorts of very like small scale grassroots organizations where you and the people around you can trust each other and be, be able and ready to act together and respond to the scary things that are happening in our world. is just like huge. And like, you know, it mm -hmm. seems small. It was like, we would just, I would just, go over to my friends, you know, this was still in the pandemic. So we would like meet on their patio and space the deck chairs, you know, six feet apart and chat and like, you know, have a beer through our masks. And, and it felt like nothing, but it was really building this kind of solidarity. That's, that's super important. Mm -hmm. I, okay. So we can get into that, the whole kind of take back. That's one of my personal uh, things, right. When I was in college and kind of going forward, something I've never talked about at all on shelf stories, but I can finally do it. Um, Okay, so this is gonna get a little bit theoretical, um, but we, it's, it doesn't make sense until you zoom the lens out and you question space, ownership, who owns the space? How do you enforce who owns the space? You know, uh, what a lot of folks know, and I live in the suburbs of Hartford, uh, you know, so if somebody's fence is like five inches into their perceived property line, then they're calling the police. <laughs> you talk to the police and like 50% of what they do is like navigate somebody's like ridiculous property claims. And like the, the idea of property itself and the idea of, you know, like fenced in enclosure property, like we take that so for granted, it feels so natural. Oh, I bought this thing. It's mine. And you can't come on this space, you know, and, and, and if you come on this space and I'm calling the police, this idea that that's natural and that's the way it should be. And if it works for you, it works, right? If it works for you, it works. But if it doesn't work, then it doesn't. So like maybe tell the people about like, like what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah, this is, a, I mean, this is a huge question. <laughs> Greg, tell me about property. Um, yeah. but, well, what's but no, wrong like with the idea of what's yeah, wrong with that structure? Like why? Because this, this game, your philosophy questions that very structure of like 100%. property and police and that kind of thing. But like, you know, like at least kind of show us the red pill, show yes. it to us. Don't you have to hold, get through the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I think the, the, the best gateway here, uh, I mean, the, the quote that comes up, which is like intentionally provocative and I won't sort of go into like digging into or defending too much is um, Proudhon's all property is theft, right. Which is like a classic mm. anarchist jumping off point. And you can read more about that if you want. I, I'm, whatever. I, I'm not going to defend all that, but uh, sure. it's good. It's a good, it's a good conversation starter. Um, but I think that, yeah, the, the problem and the way that block by block engages this question of space is not necessarily about like individual personal private property, right? Don't, don't see this and, and hear me talk and say, oh man, those block by block designers, they want to take my house away and keep me from right. having a place to live. Like that's not, that's not the case. I, I own a house. I'm not like, you know, trying to stop you from personally owning a house. But the problem becomes when this, this doctrine of property becomes expanded outward into corporations. This is a discourse mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are, are aware with, uh, are aware of in terms of political speech with Citizens United, right? Corporations have an outsized influence on our elections. Mm -hmm. Similarly, they have an outsized influence on our space. The, mm -hmm. the over-privatization of the urban space is a problem as the, the state sort of like recedes and, and gives over things like, you know, public transit or parking enforcement or, uh, you know, even like mall security policing an area instead of 
the state kind of taking it over. And, and so suddenly all these spaces that were public that, you know, you as a citizen, as a taxpayer, even as a, a citizen who doesn't pay taxes because you don't make enough money to pay taxes, like that space is yours. And suddenly now it's not. Now it belongs to a corporation and their security guards can kick you out if you're not, you know, buying a latte at the Starbucks. Mm. Um, this was yep. a big thing that, that happened in Philly. Starbucks got mm-hmm. a, a store in, in Love Park. And I don't actually know if it's still there or what. I, I, I moved out. So I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not connected to the, the end of that story. So sorry for starting a story I can't finish. But that's kind of the theory here. And this is block by block simulates it a little bit as the people move through the city and, and take it back and say, this space is, is ours and should be ours. Um, there's a, kind of a deeper way you can go to connect to this movement of, of, you know, indigenous peoples and give the land back and stuff like that. And that's not my expertise. So I'm not going to take it all the way there, but hopefully I've given you the, the introduction. I've, I've shown you the red pill, as you say. <laughs> oh, I'll go there all the way there. We don't have to go. All that's the, great. You know. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not going there because I don't want to, I'm not For going sure. there because I'm, I'm not an expert in that. And I'd be mm-hmm. sort of getting out over my skis a little bit. Well, look up Mount Rushmore, people. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, look up Mount Rushmore. That does not belong to us, and it never belonged to us. And yet, we put our four faces on there anyway. Uh, anyway, so, and I think it's important because it. I think it enriches the experience of the game, right? Because there was a, a point in the playthrough, and where so if you picture the board, people, and I'm going to try to paint the mental picture here. Uh, and if she, if you've already seen the playthrough, then that's fine. Uh, and if you don't know if the playthrough is on there, it's coming out very, very soon after this podcast comes out. So it should be by the time you listen to it, there should be both. Um, so there was a part where the, so you imagine a big five by five grid and the starting zone is pretty forgiving. Like I use the starting layout. The police are kind of off on the corners and they make their way in as the game goes on. So like I have pretty much free reign of like the upper right quadrant of the board. And what I decided to do in the playthrough was I, I kind of like staked out four um, areas and I built barricades around those areas, right? And so then, you know, the police are like, oh my God, there's a place and they're kind of coming towards me and the vans are coming in, check out the playthrough for that. But the idea being that I, that space is, belongs to the people. That, and when we get into protest movements and we get into like the popular conception of them, then it's like all anarchy. Oh, they're just destroying stuff. And they're just what, like, you know, uh, go ahead and look up the, the um, Seattle Autonomous Zone that happened during the uh, Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, where it was literally people that just like, okay, police out, state artifice out, you know, we're going to make our own laws. And it was actually like kind of peaceful and joyous. Like people were barbecuing, you could kind of like walk in and they, you know, people worked stuff out and, uh, you know, it, you're going to have people come back and say, well, they destroyed a lot of property. They broke a lot of windows, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, like both things happened. Right. And, but I don't want to lose the fact that there was a, like, you know, they got together to try to like develop the governing structure. And it was, it was very much like, this isn't just um, us destroying stuff. It isn't just like taking, you know, making trouble for the sake of it. That's what a lot of people think activism is making trouble. It's like, no, no, no. There already is trouble. Like the state is already causing trouble and the trouble is for their benefit, not for our benefit, you know, like, and, you know, it's like, okay, we, now we like, like you said before the privatization of spaces, you know, we used to, you know, walk in a park and it was okay back in the day, walking, you know, a university back in the day, walk in these public places, you would be whatever. Nowadays, now they're funneling you now. It's like, okay, go here, you know, uh, do it this way, do it this way, purchase, 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 buy, buy, buy. And so it's like, not only did I conquer those four squares in my mind's eye, because I get the philosophy, I was creating an autonomous zone. 
Totally. And that's, that's, uh, you've, you've, I, I'm glad that that's the, the narrative you mapped onto it because things like the, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone were exactly what we were thinking about of like these experiments, you know, there was some problematic stuff in the Capitol Hill Zone, but there's plenty of problematic stuff in our, you know, current governed reality. And so it's like, right, let's try something different and see what happens. And, you know, we're not, we're not living in a utopia right now. So mm-hmm. So, I mean, this isn't, a, you're not playing the barbarians, you know, conquering stuff. Like you are like, it, the, the game can't do that in and of itself. Like it can't like make governing structures and it can't make all these things, but at least it nudges you in that direction. And I really right. wanted to put the, put a podcast together to kind of map the philosophy on this game because it's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, Tiffany uh, Lay also has, also is going to do a preview and uh, there, uh, they did a blog previously that talked a lot about this philosophy stuff too. So I'm going to go ahead and link that and link their coverage so that we, yeah, uh, it was a great, it was a great piece. And, and, you know, partly inspired by Tiffany's work and just by our own, like, you know, we like the abstraction of block by block. We like that. It gives you a hook and lets you sort of interpret the game for yourself. Um, But we worked with Margaret Kiljoy, who's a fiction author uh, who's published some stuff through AK press, who's supporting the distribution of the game and um, all the, the liberation cards, when you, when you liberate, when you saw this in the playthrough, you flip the tile over, you pull out a card. In previous editions, they just had a little bonus. Now there's a little narrative and that, that narrative gives you a choice. And then there's a mechanical ramification for each of these two choices. And so those narratives were part of how we wanted to bring that kind of spirit of liberation to that, to that moment. They're all about these, these joyful moments of you know, we're all going to share food together. We're going to have a party in the street. There's a band playing. And it's like, yeah, we've, we've taken this space that was a space of, you know, repression, capitalist taking. And now suddenly it's a space for dancing. And that's just like, you know, if, if there's something at the core of it for me, like that's just really a big part of it of like, can we just like live a good life together? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, you know, I mean, in the ruins of the bad life we had before. In the capitalist mindset, it's all taking. Like right. someone has to own it, either me or you. And it's, it's a scarcity mindset. It's like there's only so much stuff to go around. And therefore, we need these structures and we need bosses to manage this, the, the limited stuff. And in this mindset, it's not limited stuff. This is the, the, the scarcity is manufactured. 100%. You know, so it's like we have enough food to feed the entire world, like, you know, many, many times over. We actually destroy food. You know, if yep. you really get into it, like, you know, like farmers destroy food, like if they can't sell it, I'd market, they're destroying it. Meanwhile, people are starving. So it's like, you know, this, this scarcity is manufactured to justify their ownership. And what the idea is, it's like, okay, it's not scarce. It's plentiful. If you trust people, they will make, they will contribute. They will share. We're not just going to sit on the couch doing drugs and watch, play video games all day. So it really does like, you have to have kind of an optimistic view of human people. Yes, totally, totally. You know? But and that's what you. But once that's you have you that, have. it's like, yeah, you can, you know, anything. Another world is possible, as they say. Yeah. So then, um, in terms of the police, talk specifically about the game's philosophy about police because that's touchy. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it, we could 100%. talk in this it's abstract way about property and people kind of like drive or don't drive with it. When it comes to police, I think people have like a visceral like we need these people. You know, why are they the enemy? We need these people. You know, I, I, I know they, I know there's some bad apples that do some bad things, but like we need police. And there's a, a when you when you have a game in a middle class hobby like this, and this is a middle class hobby, 
100%. you know, a lot of us own property. We're, if we're backing, we're on what game found. Uh, but if we're right. on crowdfunding, then we chances are we, we're above the median wage. And the, the higher you go, the more you kind of like the police. So then totally. talk a little bit about how the game translates and navigates that dynamic. Yeah, totally. I mean, the sort of like specifics of, you know, the inherent structural problems with policing are not really present in the game. Um, although, you know, we're happy to, to go into those. Um, but but in, in the game, it's exactly that, that power dynamic, that sort of capitalist structure that is represented that, right, the people who have the money, who have the power are being protected by the police. And so in the game, that's the function the police serve as this sort of agent of the state. They start in the state districts, the financial district, the airport, the, mm. the city hall. It's not called the city hall. I'm blanking on the name now, but, but they're these hubs of power. And, and a lot of the cards in the game, uh, I don't think we drew any of them in our playthrough, but, but a lot of the cards in the game will direct you to take those hubs of state power because that's how, you know, movements of the people express their dissent. They say, you know, uh, the, the Hong Kong protests took the airport and they said, you know, flights are not going in or out until we get our demands met. Mm -hmm. um, and so the police defend these things. And, and that's, that's pretty much the function they serve in block by block. We have this system of police ID numbers that, you know, the higher value districts, the privatized university, the gentrifying zone, the police are more likely to go to those places because that's where the people with money are. And so that's where the police will show up because uh, there's, there's not this sort of neutral force. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and did that, I mean, cause you play tested this and this, this game has been released. Do people engage with that? Or is it like, okay, <laughs> this is a fun game, you know, like, I mean, do, or, or have you, well, have you had comments about people saying, okay, I, I feel a bit a little more comfortable about this, or is it just people just kind of move past it and play the game? There's definitely both, you know, there's, there's definitely as, as TL says, if we weren't getting some trolls, we wouldn't be doing our job. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, there's space between like, antagonistic trolling. I think the second edition has a, a one star, one of my favorite one star reviews on BGG, which says one star Antifa, the board game, which is like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm anti-fascist. If you right. think that's a problem, maybe there's something you need to interrogate within yourself. But um, mm -hmm. so anyway, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a space between antagonism and full embrace. A lot of the people who play block by block are people who already are convinced of its political message. So, you know, there's not, you know, these, these are people who've, who've been on the street, who've clashed with police, who understand what the game is saying. Um, but there is definitely a middle space. And, and a lot of the people I've played the game with are in this space where it's like, this is like a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Um, and so in that way, the fact that it's a game, the fact that it's very abstracted is, is I don't want to say useful. That sounds too mercenary, but like, getting mm -hmm. getting someone to a place where they're a little bit uncomfortable and can start engaging with a new idea but not so uncomfortable that they become defensive is very hard mm. uh and that's like you know that's a key tactic of persuasion is like how do you find that that space um and you know i'm somewhat skeptical about the ability of games to persuade people of big things but it's been fun to play the game with people who say you know greg i trust you to pull out a fun game and we'll have a good time and even though this is like maybe I, I wouldn't personally, you know, get in the street and build some barricades, but it's fun to do it in a board game. And maybe that'll open my mind the next time I see protest coverage on the TV. Mm -hmm. Well, us actually drill down on that. Say more like the idea, ability of games to persuade. <laughs> so this is a huge topic. This I 
Do you, uh, do you know this about me? I don't know if you know this about me or your listeners. I'm a PhD candidate uh, in the communications and media studies program studying analog games and their digital adaptations. Wow. So I'll try not to like give you the whole dissertation. <laughs> but when okay. you say talk about how games persuade, that's just like, <sighs> like there's so much literature for me to think through and dig Sorry. into. No, <laughs> it's fine. It's a, no, it's fine. It's a good question. No, I, I don't like you know, I guess I like the, like, I mean, I'm getting a PhD, so I don't talk about it too, too much. But. Right, right. I mean, because you mentioned, you kind of like threw out there that you, you feel like it's limited. Yeah, totally. Right. I think, I think people tend to be too optimistic about what games can do. Mm. And that's in part because, you know, those of us in the gaming scene, whether that's people who study them or make them have a material incentive to believe that games can do big things because, you know, we're devoting our lives to them. So that's cool. And I understand that. And I'm not trying to like, you know, yuck anybody's yum or whatever. And, you know, I'll, I'll hear a good argument, but generally I think, you know, if I play, if I play, I don't know, uh, Puerto Rico, that's not going to convince me that colonialism is good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to play the game and be like, well, that, you know, there was some problematic stuff there, but good core mechanics. Great. Bye. I'm not thinking about it anymore. And so it's, it would be, it would be dishonest of me to expect block by block to work differently to say, someone who is not on board with with protest movements to say wow you know i hated those protesters until i played block by block and now i'm ready to get in the street it's like that right. I, I don't know right it's it's too it's too big of an ask especially mm -hmm. you know there are like games that are designed for education or like you know with with convincing people and persuading people in mind maybe those work better i don't know but like hobby board games like the ones you and i love to play are primarily entertainment media and so mm -hmm. they can only be as persuasive as entertainment media generally can, which I think is not very. So my, I mean, obviously I'm in this space, right? I'm in a space of like, you know, critiquing games make, and wanting, wanting games to be better arguments, wanting games to be better. I think 100%. that, so they can't, such a, yeah, you're right. It's a big topic, but I think where, where I ultimately land is that games can do harm. Oh Yeah. For sure. And, and I'm and not like, trying to you say know, games shouldn't do better. I'm just saying, right. I think there's a cap on what they can do. I'm, I'm hundred percent with you. I'm like, games should do better. We should be critical about right. games. We should think about the representations and systems we're asking people to engage with. But I think the end goal of that is exactly what you're saying is, is harm reduction is opening up the space for people mm -hmm. to have fun and is not, you know, pushing people to believe new things. Like we can yeah. push people to believe new things in our conversations about block by block afterwards when we're, you know, eating snacks and talking about it. Yeah, I mean, the, and the harm that games do, it's not like, like you said before, I'm not gonna play Puerto Rico and like all of a sudden love a colonizer. Uh, <laughs> like it basically, the, the, the harm that games do is that it can press existing wounds. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? So then, you know, by, you know, putting a stereotypical something in a game of like, you know, or like or depiction of women, right? If I, if I do the, the hundredth boobalicious woman, uh, sex object or whatever it is, scantily clad walking into a dungeon or whatever it is. So like you're reinforcing a very, very um, old and ingrained vision of a woman in society that they are a sex object. 100%. And men don't know that because that's not how we're seen, but a woman, you know, ask any woman who's walked into a game store, there's always going to be a couple of people leering at them. It's like, oh, can I date this person? Or can I talk right. to this person? So then when a game reproduces that, that can kind of create the harm. A hundred percent. And so then when I, I say, think, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I mean, just to finish off that thought, I think like, because 
or maybe one of the reasons why we're so optimistic about games is because we've seen the opposite. Like we've seen how much harm they can do. So it's like, if they can do this terrible thing, if they can bring out the worst in us, the most competitive, the most stereotypical, the most whatever, whatever, then we can, can the opposite be true? You know, can we do these, uh, these wonderful things with games and teach people a little X, Y, Z? And what you're saying is not quite, doesn't quite work both ways. Yeah, I may be a little, a little, too pessimistic about it but yeah i do think like the the harms of you know sexist depictions racist depictions engagements with colonialism are not like it's the games are the proximate cause of that harm but the ultimate cause of that harm is the underlying social system which is you know why i ultimately ended up getting involved in activism and games like block by block because i don't think you can change all the board games you want but you have to change the underlying social system you know i would rather a world where those harms and those narratives don't exist and all the board games are kind of lackluster versus a game where all the board games have perfect politics and you know racism sexism homophobia transphobia etc are still oppressing people right okay uh so yeah <laughs> uh that may be a separate discussion when your phd sure. is ready <laughs> <laughs> uh, so actually where are you in the phd process so i am very close it feels like i'm so far away but i'm very close to being done i'm scheduled to defend in june wow um, so i'm i'm writing i'm wrapping up data collection um but actually my my i'm talking about all this like social stuff my phd is mostly about media and mm -hmm. and digital media versus analog media i'm watching people play games in person and online and comparing and contrasting so i'm working on bringing a critical element to it because i care about that but my primary arguments are going to be pretty uh pretty dry, pretty media focused. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, no, I mean, games are media, right? Yeah, I mean, totally. this is this is one of the things, and I think um, which like, you know, one of the things Shelf Stories does, we wanna like raise a discourse around games. Like, I mean, with so much of how we talk about games, like, oh, it's just games. You know, oh, it's just a game. Let it go. It's such, a, it's such a loaded, it's a loaded <laughs> dismissal, man. There's so much in there. I want to keep my comfort in place. <laughs> yep, yep. I want to stay in the, the land of the blue pill. Uh, I know I'm <laughs> making a lot of Matrix references. Uh, so if you haven't seen the Matrix, I'm sorry. There's a whole new Matrix. Go ahead and uh, watch that. So it's not. And it, it does yeah. good work to reclaim the sort of like red pill discourse from the, you know, the manosphere who sort of corrupted that phrase. So I like, I like that. I don't know. What, actually, I don't know about that. What, what, what is that? Oh my gosh. This, uh, whole so this is the end of the podcast people uh i'll do like this will be the wrap up but like great. <laughs> if you don't want to hear like us go down a rabbit hole of stuff where you're good block by block game found what's the date of the uh the game found project yeah we're launching on february 15th but um the the preview page is live now if you want to follow there we've, we've mm -hmm. got people following it to get notifications and also you know game found is a new platform for a lot of people so go ahead and, and make your login and get yourself set up so you don't miss it when it drops but um, you can go to outofordergames.com, out of order, just like you think. And, uh, and we've got a little link there to the preview page. So that's where to find block by block. All right. So uh, this podcast released on the 13th. So it'll be very, very soon. Uh, and the video that I keep on mentioning is going to be on the thing as well. We're going to have, I, I, I really want this project to succeed because uh, I think it's a really fun game, really fun statement. Uh, even if games can't handle complex arguments about property and people and all kind of stuff at least this game points you in the right direction and listen to the right people they'll be able to articulate the philosophy so if if, if this game does that then i'm, I'm happy uh so well, now uh so that's all the promo if you don't want to <laughs> hear um some articulation about the red pills i'm very interested uh you're good but i want to hear it what, what is the discourse that you're talking about in terms of that like change that happened 
so I don't I don't know when this happened. I'm not a I'm not a historian of this. Although I guess I should I should give a shout out to what made me think about this, which is the Bechdel Cast, which is a movie podcast about intersectional feminism. Um, and they had they had Emily Vanderwerf, who I think is mm -hmm. changing her last name. Anyway, uh, a really great trans film writer who was talking about why she loves The Matrix so much, even though it's kind of been adopted by questionable folks. But so part of this discussion was how it has been adopted. And I guess the phrase taking the red pill has been adopted by like like men's rights advocates to mean like when you understand that society is actually biased towards women against men and your mind opens and you're like, oh, uh -ho, oh it's all God. a trick. The feminists <laughs> are out to get us. And so for a wow. while, I guess, like between the original Matrix trilogy and the, the new fourth Matrix movie, this was like the dominant use of the phrase red pill online. I had um, no idea. I was yeah, just going off like, the movie. I know what that's the, a good, that's, that's a crazy. good sign. That means you're not as uh, like terminally online like I am. So okay, <laughs> that's good. But but the, the movie, the new movie reacts to this like it it knows that mm. this is what the red pill has been been meaning and and takes big steps to kind of reject that that interpretation. So I'm all for reclaiming the term red pill. No, 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 wow. <laughs> I gotta, now, I, now I have to totally get into this discourse. Uh, okay, Don't go so, too deep. It gets real bad real quick. So I want um, Greg to come back on after he has defended his dissertation, not before, because that's going to be a whole big thing. You're probably going to have, I get, you know, and I got to spend all my time working on it. To all the time working on all the time preparing. I, I don't want to like, you know, jut in something that's like, okay, after you defend, after they, you know, they come up and they shake your hand, they're like, okay, all that stuff. And you're able to kind of you know, relax and do it. Please come on back on the show and, you know, talk about some of this, the greater media coverage and what games can do, what games can't do and all, and, and all that, all game, not just pop, 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 but like all games. I'm assuming you're looking at like a bunch of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm casting a pretty wide net, including like role-playing games and LCG, CCG type games. So yeah, that would be great. Thank you so much for the, for the invite. I would love to do that. I can't wait. <laughs> it sounds exciting. I can't uh, so, wait either because it means I'll be done with my process and I'll be out of the, the graduate school world. So, this so I'm going to set, a, a, I'm gonna set a, a, a notification in July. Please, so, uh, please. Right. July. Is that, is that the good time? That'll keep me on track. I'm supposed to defend in June and, you know, there's always temptations to delay, but knowing that you've got a calendar invite in July, would be like, okay, <laughs> push forward, gap. get done. <laughs> Greg Loring Albright, this was amazing. Block by Block is on Game Fire. We already gave the promo, but one more time, back this project. It is really fun. Uh, thank, thank you very you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for having us. I just want to say it's, it's been great chatting with you. And I just, I love your vibe. I love following you on Twitter. Just like a really thoughtful, encouraging, powerful voice for for board game twitter so i know you're elsewhere and you're a real person not just on twitter but whenever i see your tweets crossing my feed it's a good day so i, I try you know i try to be positive i try to be constructive you know you like and that's another so thing good. it's like you know i, I i'm going I, I i have an online presence and i'm crafting it specifically to kind of offer a vision of activism that isn't like yelly and yelly and deconstructive because uh, that's the great. stereotype like, and you could, it could be the most beautiful tweet in the world that's like, uh, you know, totally right about like criticisms and defunding and all that stuff. But it's like that, that kind of tweet will always get read as, oh, they want to take stuff away from me. Oh, they want to, they want to tear away. I want to resist that as much as possible. And then people accuse me of rabble rising anyway. <laughs> but I, I, I really, I really try to be as constructive as possible. So I really appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Of course. Of course. Thanks so much for having me on. 
Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list.